You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show. It is Thursday, May the 25th. Dry, a little grey here in TW11. This morning I'm headed just down the road to Sandown Park this evening. So is Desert Crown. I'm pleased to say last year's Derby hero returning for the first time in the Brigadier Gerard Stakes against Hookham. We've been talking about them quite a bit during the course of this week. We'll also be looking ahead to this weekend's Irish 1000 and 2000 guineas, the declarations of which have just come through. Ryan Moore goes to Ireland and not to Haydock Park. Uh, Frankie de Tory will take the ride on Little Big Bear in the Sandy Lane Stakes. Speaking of sprinters at Haydock, I'll be catching up with the trainer, of a, a runner in the Temple Stakes, and believe me, he still has serious faith that this one could be a real top-notcher after abundant promise last season. More of that's to follow, but first of all, as we flagged up yesterday, the British Horse Racing Authority board, the new board, uh, has approved core principles for the innovation and improvement in the 2024 fixture list. It's largely based around what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks as regards premierization and the clearing of Saturday afternoons for those big, big fixtures. But there are some other notable uh, points to mention as well. Press release just been um, been published. There's a, a two-hour shop window, as I said, Saturday afternoons, including premier fixtures, a premier racing tier with higher prize money and more competitive top quality racing, piloting six Sunday evening floodlit fixtures between January and March 2024, uh, apparently at a time of the week where betting activity tends to be strong boosting core racing to move more fixtures later in the day in response to what the BHA calls changing uh, customer preferences, making the most of our core fixtures during major festivals, supporting summer jumping, and more competitive racing with a reduction in 300 jump races across the year and some flat races moving from the summer to autumn and early winter uh, based on data showing these measures will help increase field sizes and betting and better quality racing on Sunday afternoons, including some premier fixtures, though it doesn't say how precisely. All right, well, I'm joined now by the Chief Executive of the British Horse Racing Authority, uh, Julie Harrington. Julie, not much is a massive surprise given how well this has been trailed, but it might be worth drilling down into what you feel is is the primary motivating force behind these changes. So the motivation, Nick, is about trying to create a platform to grow engagement in our sport, both from existing fans and making it as attractive as possible to the occasional viewer and potential new fans. You know, I would call this a real foundation piece of work um, to build on in future years, but it is about making the sport as attractive and engaging as possible to create a, a more sustainable model for the sport. Talk about the Saturdays, first of all, and the shop window on Saturday afternoons. We've discussed this quite a bit, and, and this seems to have been the area that's caused most consternation amongst some of the smaller independent courses. The Sandersons were vocal on this, and one or two slightly more measured criticisms from one or two of the larger independents as well. What assurances have you given them that they will not materially suffer from this? So the the commercial committee that has been working up the proposals that that went to the board earlier in the week um, have got representatives of the small independents and the large independents on there. 
Um, and so what we've made sure um, is that, you know, in, in terms of reaching the proposals that we modelled through the, the upside for the sport as a whole. So will people, will individuals be negatively impact? Yes, that is possible. Um, but one of the reasons we need to try this, um, and, and you will see that in, in um, 2024, um, that not all of the weekends have that protected windows in. So it gives us a, a control group is so that we can, we can actually measure impact. We can measure customer engagement. So alongside this work, obviously is a broader piece of work about how we present it, but there's also a broader piece of work about how we measure it and how we measure success um, in, in from a qualitative point of view in terms of speaking to owners customers, fans, viewers, betters, um, but also from a data point of view to actually see how revenues are flowing into the sport, what field sizes um, are we getting, how how much more competitive is the racing. So, um, so everybody um, around that commercial committee table uh, agreed with the recommendations that went up to the board. Um, of course, the, there were um, some varying discrete degrees of, of um, dissenting voices along the way. Um, but I think we've we've reached, um, you know, a, an agreement on some some good change for 2024. And have you had to compromise? Have you had to give some financial incentives back to the Thursks and the Catricks and the Redkers and the Chesters and Musselboroughs? Have you had to say, right, we'll give you this if you let us do this? So the, the funding model that's the, that supports this is the next phase of work. We obviously had to agree the principles that the fixture list was um, being built on. And then the next phase of work is we get absolutely into the detail of the fixture process and the funding process um, and putting together um, some incentives um to encourage people to move into slots that our customers, you know, and it's really important that we remember the customer is at the centre of this, that we're incentivising people to move into the slots that our customers want to watch and bet on the sport, um, I imagine are going to be part of those solutions. But we were already listening. Um, so th the original proposals had um, a, a two-hour, we've been calling it the shop window, um, with, with a sort of, um, more space around those premier fixtures every weekend of the year. Once you get into the detail of that, and you can see actually in year one, um, there there was a, a bigger impact. Um, we'd already begun around that commercial committee table to look at what was um, a, a bold enough step for year one that wasn't going to create any unintended consequences. So that I don't consider it a compromise at all. It was already part of the work that was being done. The Premier Racing tier, so the, the shop window on a Saturday afternoon, has been guaranteed higher prize money. Premier Racing tier with higher prize money, more competitive, top quality racing featuring the best horses. Um, how are you able to mandate that the race courses offer more prize money for those fixtures? So, of course, the, the minimum values is a, a, a system that's been in place for, for many years. So we are looking at different minimum values for those um, premier um, racing fixtures. Um, as I said, that is the next phase of work. Um, as you can imagine, we've 
to, to reach the point where we took proposals to the board, we've doing, been doing a huge amount of modelling about what that could look like. But the next phase is really about working with the race courses, the levy board to to actually flesh that out so we can we can be clear about what's happening. So you can't guarantee that you can only intend it. Well, if they want to, if they want to run a premier fixture, they need to be able to um, to meet those minimum values. And as you know, as I'm sure um, most of your listeners know, that is a, a blend of racecourse executive contribution and levy board money. And um, the discussions over the next few weeks and months are how we get there through that blend. So it isn't about purely relying in one area. It's it's how we make sure that we can deliver that higher prize money to um to create the set incentive for owners and trainers to run their best horses in in those windows. You know, we we obviously um want to be able to um, call it a premier tier because it is um a more valuable product. Um and everybody around that commercial committee table knows that that is the intent. Um, we're going to be taking a multi-year approach, um, but in 2024, um, higher minimum values in that premier racing tier is what we're we're going to see. Okay. The six Sunday evening floodlit fixtures that you're piloting between January and March 2024, you talk about customer insight. Have you Have you met any customers who say to you, what I want is floodlit racing on a Sunday evening? So what we have done is met um, a lot of our partners in, in the betting industry who's, who know their, you know, they know their customers. Um, and in terms of um, that important revenue stream, when people are uh, available to watch and bet on racing, um, we, we are being told, pretty strongly from from those partners that that is um, a valuable and available slot and um, what the whole point of running a pilot is to see how race courses um, can work with race goers and um, to see if it is equally attractive to some race goers um, but also really importantly is to uh, you know the people who are putting on the show um, we need to also use that pilot to understand how shift patterns um, can be adjusted to make sure um, that we're not um, adversely adversely impacting you know on, on people's home lives and well-being absolutely i was going to come to that because um quite a bit of this is about shifting racing later into the day uh, you say that um, more fixtures later in the day in response to changing customer preferences. If people are more available in the late afternoon, the evening, that's when they want to watch and bet on racing. But clearly you're cognizant of the fact that that can have a significant impact on the on the workforce. Um, what are you doing to, to address that? So um, your, your listeners may be aware that we've launched uh, an industry people board Um the reason this is a pilot, it gives the industry people board an opportunity um, to um, get its work underway. Um, and they will be heavily involved in how we measure that pilot um, and how we um, support trainers in terms of, you know, we know, we know that there is a lot of best practice out there in terms of um trainers who run different shift patterns to to support putting on racing when customers 
want to watch racing. Um, and so there are, there are a couple of pieces of work here. Some is about just making sure we have enough staff, particularly in those horse facing roles. Um, and some is about working practices and sort of modernizing working practices to make sure um, that we are looking after people's well-being. And this the pilot, the reason it is a pilot is the industry people board has only just had its first meeting um, and we'll be working with them for the remainder of this year to understand um, what are we going to be measuring through that six-week pilot. Um, everything in this has been data-driven, Nick. So, you know, we we are obviously going to be measuring um, the results of, of what we do, but all the proposals have been based on the data that's available to us at the moment. Have we reached a situation, Julie, where, and, and I don't think anybody is going to dispute the idea of making the good stuff better and to and to really polish up the the best jewels that the sport has and to showcase them in a, a you know a nice comfortable window, hopefully on terrestrial television, to make them as as available as possible to as many people as possible by trying to maximise the use of not only Saturdays but also Sundays. Yeah, you know, there'll be an awful lot of awful lot of support for that. But just looking at these measures as a whole, have we reached the point where we have accepted that there is really little or no point trying to build any of racing's economic model on people turning up to smaller race meetings? That actually footfall at meetings that are not the premier meetings is almost irrelevant, irrelevant to racing's overall financial picture. Absolutely not, Nick. That um, you know, I run small race courses um and admissions and hospitality and being part of a local community is absolutely vital uh, and it may be that you know if you're running a race course pnl it may be that admissions 20 years ago was your top line on your profit and loss account and now it's your second or third but it's it's vitally important and also you know it may be that um, we, we track customer journeys and I think the sport operating as one to understand more about the customer is vital here. But if you take a customer journey, there isn't just one. So people's entry to the sport, you know, the people who uh, are watching on TV, betting on racing, or maybe visit one of the major festivals, lots of those first experience of racing might have been a, in a, in a smaller race course on a family friendly fixture or a midweek afternoon or in the school holidays. So it's an, a vital part of the ecosystem. What we're doing is, is just recognizing that making those, making those big days bigger is where you recruit um, your future fans um, and, and how we make sure that we're engaging as much of our current um, and, and future fan base as possible. How confident are you that Sundays can can take off? What do Sundays need to take off? I think though we're working with the race courses through the next um, few months, so through the funding side of this to see um, how many of those Sundays we can put premier fixtures on. Um, because it is an opportunity. We know other countries have made it work. Um, we think it needs some premier fixtures. We need to be spreading some of our good quality product onto those Sundays. Um, and 
it needs it needs proper focus from across the sport with the right marketing support um hopefully with um some terrestrial broadcast also um so i i think there isn't just one magic lever that we can pull um but i think a proper cross industry approach to um putting premier fixtures on sundays is um we're going to give it the best chance of success for those who said there's too much racing there's still too much racing isn't there for them for those who believe that there's too much racing that hasn't really changed the amount of fixtures has not has not reduced now we've reduced the amount of races so um in terms of trying to make our our core racing more competitive um we're removing 300 jump races you know we know particularly we've struggled with small fields in jump racing um outside of, of the core jump racing season um we know that we've struggled with flat racing field sizes during the summer and we are taking some of those races out of the summer um and putting more on in the in the autumn um so there isn't a radical reduction in the number of fixtures, but reducing the number of races is what we think is going to give us a more um, competitive product. But remember, this is just the first stage of a much longer term project. And as uh, if we don't get the uptick in competitiveness, not just field sizes, but also, you know, the best horses competing against the best horses, then um, we'll continue to make recommendations as the years go on. Um, it, I keep calling this a foundation piece of work that we're going to build on with, you know, we've never had a cross industry sort of data and insight team before. The The game changer here is that we are going, we've been allowed the data to build these um to build these proposals on, but then we are going to be able to track and measure and make recommendations. So um, we will be um, learning. Uh, I think 2024 is going to be a really exciting year. All right. That was uh, Chief Executive of the BHA, Julie Harrington. David Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror, was listening to that. Uh, Dave, not a massive surprise in terms of the top line. Anything really catch your eye that, that you hadn't been aware of until today? Uh, there was one that, uh, that jumped out at me, and that was the the, the Sunday evening floodlit fixtures. I mean, I didn't see that one coming, and it's anathema, really. I I I don't know anybody who who is desperate for opportunities to bet on domestic floodlit racing on a Sunday evening. The key word to this, I, I'm, I, I guess, is data. That when we listen to the likes of uh, Louis Stewart of, of Chester a couple of weeks ago, she was saying we have to fully understand the data with this to support these changes because, of course, um, independent race courses have their concerns about uh, being their, their fixtures being shunted around. And I can only assume that this is something where the data coming from betting companies has, has said, well, we, we have lots of people betting on racing overseas at this time, and we think that uh, that there is a share of the pie to be had. Um, it, it's a pilot, so we'll see how it works. But yeah, it, that, that's one uh, to me that um, surprised me. And, and I, the interesting point about 
cutting races. I mean, there, there's been no fixtures cut really meaningfully, but reduction in 300 jump races to, to make that jump racing program more competitive and to solve the, or attempt to solve the problem of, of small fields. It, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Insofar as that jump racing is more popular than flat racing. If you are using television viewing figures as a metric, and if you're looking at, um, you know, crowd figures at, at some of the major festivals as a, as a metric but it's not performing from a levy generative standpoint so you've got this slightly awkward juxtaposition there uh, what is what is a sport that has the bigger fan base versus what consistently provides you with with more money and a bit and, and a bigger part and they're, they're not one and the same thing outside the Cheltenham Festival and the Grand National no they're not and that's that's an interesting thing again this was something that um has has been trailed for a long time isn't it the fact that um 300 jump races will go in in terms of flat racing it's just moving the tiles around the board isn't it um and that those races a bit will be displaced from the summer uh to the autumn and the winter and did you sense as i did dave that for all that you know you've got to give the industry credit for coming together under one strengthened BHA board. Yeah, that's incontrovertible, what, what they've done in terms of restructuring the board. And there's some sort of decision-making from the top that a lot of people said would never happen. But do you not still get the sense from some of Julie's answers that she was having to deal with a very, very delicate ecosystem as regards trying to get the race courses all to agree on the on the same thing? And you know, when it comes to actually mandating the race courses as to what they must and mustn't do in terms of moving fixtures or guarantee prize money, it's a an ongoing challenge. Absolutely. But I think that's entirely to be a expected. And I think that they deserve an awful lot of credit uh, for coming up with what they have uh, produced here. Because, um, you know, over the last few weeks, we've had uh, the threat of uh, of legal action from uh, James Sanderson if, if the BHA didn't accept the olive branch which it, it didn't seem it didn't seem like much of an olive branch to me i must say um unless uh, unless he was proposing to uh, hit the bha around the head with it we all know that there are loads of disparate groups in racing who represent themselves and 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 often their interests are not only sh not shared uh, by other groups but actually can run counter to other groups julie harrington mentioned uh the incentives that again haven't been hammered out yet the funding model she said is the next phase so um the likes of thirsk and catterick and the the smaller independents and indeed the larger ones will um will soon realize or will soon be notified of what those incentives are she said it wasn't a compromise i think this is a really good start and i think that but in a broader sense obviously we had the the issue last june of of the uh the tripartite system when it broke down with the 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 vote the the bha voting against the the changes of of the 300 race cull that it had proposed then of course in november they um announced that the new governance structure with the, the bha um being at the top and the policy uh, being made a, a couple of floors beneath. Um, I, I think that in principle, this has, has been seen to work really well. And I'm also very pleased that, you know, to, to many of us, the what happened, the, the, the conclusion of the Office of Fair Trading uh, in 
2004, uh, which uh, which stripped the then British Horse Racing Board of the ability to control the fixed list. For many of us, that was one of racing's darkest days. And at least what this does is it brings an element of control uh, back to racing's regulator, the BHA. So both in terms of the of the um, the substance of what we're looking at, I think this is a good thing. I think it's a good start, but also in a in a broader, more sort of philosophical sense if you like i think this is a good thing too because um it 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 demonstrates that the control of 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 the fixtures and uh, on saturdays is if not in the in the complete control of the bha they are leading uh, the decision making process all right, let's talk about the racing this weekend. The Curra stages, the Irish 1000 and 2000 guineas. The declarations have come through for the latter, which takes place on Saturday. Now, the interesting jockey point here is that Ryan Moore, who could have gone to Haydock to ride uh, the still potentially exciting little Big Bear, is not. He's staying at the Curra to ride Paddington in the Irish guineas. Uh, and little Big Bear is now the mount of Frankie de Tory, Dave. Yeah, that's right. Um, that was something of a conundrum, wasn't it, for uh, for Ryan Moore in, in terms of uh, where he would ride. Little Big Bear, of course, um, had that disastrous time in the 2000 Guineas. He was a doubtful stayer. It rained all day. Then he finished lame, uh, having uh, got involved in a schmozzle uh, just after the start. So he drops back to six furlongs. We knew that was going to happen. And Frankie de Tory is on board which is again an, a, another uh, a moment of significance in the uh, the valedictory tour but yeah the um we've got 11 of them at the Curra, which uh, the field or at least the betting is headed by royal scotsman who, who i think most of us thought ran a, a a really good race in the guineas considering that things didn't go uh for for him he got lit up early on by um his um involvement or indeed he was the victim really of, of what went on after a couple of furlongs of the 2000 guineas um he ran on to finish third behind Caldean, and so he's been put into this race uh by paul and ollie cole who report him to have been working better than ever this week so um it's a it's a really interesting guineas and as you say ryan Moore will uh, go to the curra to ride paddington and that leaves to tory on little big bear yeah, Little Big Bear, who will run in the Sandy Lane Stakes, which is an absolutely superb um, trial for the, the Commonwealth Cup. Bang up to scratch. The other feature at Haydock is the Group 2 for older sprinters. The Temple Stakes run over five furlongs. One filly who looked so exciting last year was Royal Acclaim for James Tate. She finished sixth when favourite to beat Highfield Princess & Co. in the Nunthorpe, subsequent to which she was a bit disappointing on the soft ground in France. Uh, I've been speaking to the trainer and I began by asking him whether there was significant cause to think that the buzz surrounding this filly that was so evident last summer should now return. Well, obviously, those last two runs at the end of last year when she didn't win have, have tempered us slightly. But um, over the winter, the optimism has uh, has come to the surface again. She's uh, she, she, she she's in good form. She's gleaming. She's fresh and well. And um, we're hopeful she can uh, can can make a seasonal debut in style. And, and when you look back on that Nunthorpe run, because she was favourite off the back of so little experience, people think, well, she only finished sixth. Um, actually, it wasn't really a bad run at all. 
No, no. I mean, we were drawn on the far side, which was the place to be earlier in the meeting. But later in the meeting, you know, it, it got a bit churned up. And, uh, and, and and as you say, you know, she, she, she ran respectably. And even in France, you know, on softer ground than ideal, probably further away from the rail than ideal, she ran well against, I think, horses that were all placed in the lobby on the next start. So, um, yeah, her, her last two runs weren't sensational, but they certainly weren't bad. Is there any reason to think that, that she can have improved, that she can actually post a higher level of form this time round? Well, I think there's every reason to hope that because she's only run five times. And as you know, with these sprinters, they've, well, there tend to be two types of sprinter, that very early, early maturing, you know, two-year-old sprinter. Um, and, and then these slightly later maturing, you know, bigger, stronger types, which hopefully she's in, in that category. Um, you know, you saw with the likes of Highfield Princess last year how, how they can improve with racing with age. And she's just turned four. She's only run five times. So it's, it's not uh, unrealistic to hope that the best might be yet, yet to come. I mean, you've had some seriously fast horses, some seriously talented horses as well, the Invincible Armies and the Far Above. Would you be able to relate her talent to them? Yeah, I mean, certainly at home, you know, her talent is is right up there. So I suppose it, it, it now comes down to, you know, can she put it all together in a, in a race over one minute and get everything just, just, just perfect? And a pure flying five, do you think, for the rest of the season? Well, we wondered after those last two starts whether she might get six. Um, although her, I think all, all of her dam's progeny seems to be slightly better over five, although her dam ran five and six. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, my, my gut was after she won that listed race at York that she was just five, but we, we certainly w- won't rule out six for later in the year. James Tate's trainer of Royal Acclaim, who goes in the Temple Stakes Group 2 at Haydock Park, on Saturday and would look to have a pretty decent chance, albeit that it's quite a spicy race. It'll be the Derby a week on from there. And whilst all the attention is toward the front of the market, one horse who might be flying slightly under the radar is Waipiro, who was only beaten narrowly by current favourite military order in the Lingfield Derby trial and is trained by Ed Walker in Lambourne. I put in a call to Ed earlier on. I asked him how high the confidence was in the yard behind this horse's Derby chance. Yeah, it's um, pretty pretty high to be honest with you. You know, he's um, he's quite quickly um, climbed the climbed the ladder, and uh, we were all really impressed and excited with his Lingfield performance. Um, so yeah, I think I think um, quite nice to be in a, a little bit more under the radar than than the last time I I was I had a. a um, which is, is a quite nice place to be. Yeah, that that for people who, who've forgotten was the runaway Lingfield Derby trial winner, English King. Who, I mean, you you were getting phone calls like this about five hundred times a day when he was in the in the lead up to the Derby, and it all it all ended rather in in disappointment. Rather different types of horse, I thought. Yeah, very different type of horse. I think um, I think English King for me was was. Would have run a massive race in the leisure, and he was always going to end up, I think, ultimately being a proper stayer. I think that was his real strength, um, was his stamina, a very high cruising speed, and um, and he stayed very, very well. Uh, this horse, I think, is faster, um, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if if he ends up being a, a 10, 12 furlong horse rather than a, a 12, 14 furlong horse. Um, so, yeah, different types. He's got an interesting pedigree as well. He's by Australia, the Derby winner, who's having a pretty good start to the season. But he's a half-brother to, to Waikuku, who's been a fantastically talented horse in Hong Kong and has a racing post rating of 124. There's obviously some real talent in this family. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and really, um, Waikuku is how we came across him. So, um, uh, he was obviously um, a very good horse in Hong Kong for all by Alistair Donald for the, for the owners, um, the Sioux family. And um, yeah, that's how Alistair came across this guy as a yearling. And, um, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't actually much to look at as a yearling. And he's just thrived and blossomed from two to three and, and done very, very well. And yeah, it's a good family. And Australia's having a great time at the moment. He's, he's proving himself a very good stallion. Um, he was obviously incredibly well-bred and, and, and the perfect breed for, for the derby um, himself. So, uh, you know, I think he's, he's out of a Danehill dancer mare, so a bit of speed there, which... You know, I think you obviously need it, Epsom. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're very excited. And, of course, in the run-up, so the, the last time you did this, there was all the, all the drama about who was going to ride the horse. I'm guessing no drama this time. Who, who gets the sit on why? Uh, why? Yeah, um, Tom Markham will ride, which is great. Um, and uh, Rob did a, a great job on him at, and, and looked after him and, and gave him an, another, you know, good step in his education at Lingfield. And I'm very grateful to Rob. Um, for that, but um, you know, Tom's our Tom's our go-to man when we can get him, and and, uh, and hopefully, hopefully, having having jocked him off English King, hopefully we can make amends for that. Well, today, Thursday, the twenty-fifth of May, is Racing Together Community Day, and the Chief Executive of Racing Together, John Blake, is once again joining me on the podcast. John, just explain a bit more for me. Yes, good morning, Nick. Well, it's, it's a great day for it, isn't it? Well, this is the fifth. Um, annual Racing Together Community Day, and it's really racing's chance, racing staff chance to to give back to the communities, which which happens all year round in, in lots of ways. But this this day is really to bring all that together and to have a real concentrated and concerted effort right around the country, involving almost every corner of the sport. This year, we've had some record numbers um, participating this year, really just to um, you know show the visibly show that how much racing cares about its communities in all sorts of ways um whether it's it's race courses we've got 23 signed up this year which is a record 11 trainers have uh, have agreed to join in as well we welcome weatherbees for example for the first time the baha have been involved um the tota working at Hayduck on friday and the list, the list is pretty endless but as i said it, it it's really about as, as a team with colleagues um you know doing something very creative um for example the team at Fergal O'Brien's yard are going out to support the riding for disabled uh, at Cheltenham. Susan Corbett's team uh, are supporting a care home um, o- over the next days as well. And it's not just about today. As I said, it- it's year round as well. And I can say with some great authority that the roundabouts around Ludlow Racecourse will never look um, so tidy and uh, um, uh, in good order as they will do for the 10 week project that the team there uh, are putting to them. But I think the context of it is it would be very easy with so much going on in racing at the moment, so many threats to racing in, in lots of ways for for people to this to slip down the list a little bit. But 74 um, groups have, have, have signed up. We had a record year of 65 last year. So that's over 200 volunteers, about 620 hours and counting that number will go up. So it's been a terrific response and huge thanks to my colleagues, Lucy Gurney and Florence Kane in particular for, for being the engine of this. Easy for me to talk about it, but they're, they're the ones that have done all the work. And despite it being three weeks later because of the coronation, um, the response has been tremendous. And at times, as I said, when the sport could be very nervous about doing things, um, but they've come out in, in real full force today. 
Okay, well, Breeze Up season continues apace. Next up, it's Tattersall's Island for the Goresbridge Breeze Up, and their chief executive, Simon Kerrins, joins me now. Simon, I know a great favourite of many. They're a little deeper into the season. They've got more of a chance to assess what they like and what they don't like. What have you got to offer over the next couple of days? Well, we've got the largest Breeze Up uh, offering in Europe um, over the next couple of days. The Breeze starts at 9 o'clock this morning. Uh, so we're all geared up and ready to go. It's a beautiful sunny day here at Ferry House Racecourse, which is right opposite Tattersall's Ireland, just across the road. And we've just under 250 horses, 245 or six horses breezing um, from nine o'clock uh, this morning. I was going to say speed is of the essence in every respect, isn't it? That's that's quite a mammoth task for you guys in a, in a couple of days. It, it is, it is. I mean, uh, it's, there's quite a lot goes into it in terms of the, the, the logistics of it. Um, so we rely on a lot of the staff uh, internally and externally as well from our um, from our colleagues in Tats UK. Also, we uh, rely on plenty of them uh, to help us over the couple of days because it's you know we're trying to get these horses to breeze. They breeze as quickly as possible um, over two furlongs and um, try and get them off the track safely. And look safety is the essence but uh, speed is uh, is also a, pri- a priority now last year you set the bar very high with a historic top lot of 510,000 euros you've got the biggest catalog or the best catalog you feel ever this time are there any clear and notable standouts you think that'll have a, have everybody salivating I always get it wrong, Nick, to be honest with you. I always get it wrong. Um, it, look, to be honest with you, there's some very, very good um, horses uh, on pedigree. I mean, there's some Two Darn Hots. There's some See the Stars. There's Kingmans. There's some really, really good sire power. Um, some very high-profile American sires also. Um, the quality has got better. I think there's more and more confidence in the sale over the last number of years. I mean, the sale originated in Gore's in Gore's Bridge, of course, uh, Martin Donoghue and, you know, Breeze used to be in Gorham. They used to get a huge number of people going down to the sales of all, you know, all types of bars for every every segment of the market. And we try to replicate that. We try to replicate that. And, uh, you know, we, it's here at Ferry House. You know, we've had Bristol's Ireland across the road so logistically it works in terms of getting the horses to and from the stables and um, yeah no there's nothing that will stand out but there will be a couple of horses will stand out after probably two o'clock this afternoon. All right thanks to Simon to all my guests today David Yates is still with me Dave has a tip for you. Yeah going to the evening racing but not uh, the Brigadier Gerrard fixture at Sandown tonight, Chelmsford City, the injured jockeys fund handicap at 7.52. Number one, Manardil, um, successful in a 0-55 two starts to go, then ran creditably in a 0-65 last time, back down to carry top weight in a 0-55 here. Hope he can uh, boost an already impressive record at the Essex Showground. 7.52 race at Chelmsford City, selection number one, Manardil. Dave, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks to all my guests. That was Thursday, May the 25th. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.